Well, good morning. As we, as Chris read this morning, we had an Old Testament and New Testament reading, and I just wanted to look back at that shortly before we get to our passage. Uh, in the back of your bulletin, there is a little place for notes um, on page 15. But we see in the Old Testament that there was at least a hint, right? That for to us a child is born and a son will be given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then the, of the increase of his government of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom established to hold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then we see in, in Luke, which we'll look at again in a moment, this reality that comes to Mary. This angel comes to Mary and says that you will be with child and his name will be called Jesus. If you'd rise and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we'll look at what, what may just be a, an early church hymn or maybe even a couple of early church hymns combined. Philippians chapter 2. Let me begin in verse 4. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on him a name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Please be seated as you are, I'll pray. Gracious Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for this community of faith that we have. We praise you for the word that you have for us this morning. We praise you for this season, the first Sunday of Advent, as we take a step back and we look a little closer the reality of you sending your son to come in the flesh, to, to put on flesh and to become as our brother. We thank you for your son and we pray that during this season as a church, Father, that we would look to you to glorify your name and to proclaim the realities of your son. And Father, that we would look to it ourselves to see our need for a Savior, our need for your son. And I just pray that your spirit would be upon us this morning to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you notice in this passage, it's clear that Paul talks about Jesus not grasping onto, right? Not holding on to his divine glory and somehow emptied himself. We'll, we'll try to qualify some of those statements here in a moment. And, and I can't help when I think of grasping to think of Black Friday. 
where many people along our city go to stores and grasp after what they feel they deserve. Right? I mean, that's what's going on. We deserve certain things. Like when you show up at Walmart, at the time they tell you, and it says, we guarantee you a $98 32-inch TV. You deserve it. If you got into that door at that time, it is something that you should be able to grasp. I've earned that right. Right? I've earned to grab it. Well, I did not get a $98 TV, nice 32-incher. Neither did the pastor's wife. Because it was a little bit scary at Walmart because many people were there trying to grasp after what they thought that they deserved. And I did even turn to my cousin who was with me. I said, we need to get out of here because somebody's about to throw down. Literally, direct quote, that is not an exaggeration. Five minutes after we left the store of Walmart, two couples threw down. Wife on wife, husband on husband, to the ground, full out, grasping, seeking to hold on to what they deserved. We went on to Target, more grasping, seeking what I deserved. Some people, even in this congregation, didn't necessarily deserve what they got. They sat in a warm car and somebody else grasped what they needed (laughs) for them and just let them come in and pay. We won't name names because we don't want people to know what he grasped after. This morning, as we look in this passage, we see as as Jesus did not grasp on what he deserved, we'll, we'll try to flesh out a little bit more about what that actually means. Uh, if, you, if you want to take notes, you want to do a little headings and look for a little signpost as we go forward, we will see the, the practicality of Jesus' humanity, and then the authenticity of Jesus' humanity, the significance of Jesus' humanity, and then the victory we have in Jesus' humanity. Um, first, let's look here at the practicality. I mean, Paul starts out in this passage very practical, Right? I mean, he gets on to these theological concepts as he, he starts thinking about it, but he starts off very practically. He says, have this mind among you that you have in Christ Jesus, right? Who did not think equality with God is something to be grasped, right? So he humbled himself in some way and emptied himself. And so we're supposed to look at this in a very practical way. Right? There's, there's, something, there's a very simple, practical application of this passage that, that you know, Paul starts with, which is simply this that you may not get what you deserve. Just as Jesus humbled himself, and although he ought to have been given the resignation as being the King of kings and Lord of lords as he was in this earth, he humbled himself, came to this earth as a child. He did not come to this earth like Thor the thunder god, right, with a lightning boom down from Asgard. He did not come like an angel with bright lights. He did not come like a great king with an army going out before him. He comes as a baby, as a child, to show us that he was willing, even though he was deserving of everything, in a very practical way, humbling himself. And it's easy for us to stop there, right? We we could have a whole bunch of sermons on, on how to... To you know, think other people are more deserving than you this season. You know, it's okay if you don't get that right parking spot. It's okay if somebody grasped that last TV out from your hands whenever you were supposed to get it. 
And we, we could talk about that a lot because we will all struggle with that in these coming weeks. We ought to have had that. We ought to have had that Christmas. That could have been our $98, 32-inch TV. That would have been great for us. But we didn't get that, and that's okay. And we could talk a lot about the, the practical implications of this passage, but I wanted you this morning to focus on this reality, to, to let us step back a little bit and just focus on this grand reality that the God who created the heavens and the earth, He that was with God in the beginning and was God, came in the flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, we, we think about that every Christmas, but I, I don't think that we can ever truly comprehend the majesty and the mystery that is around, that surrounds that ultimate reality. That for some reason, the, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise God thought it best. The best possible thing to do would be to send His Son to walk in human flesh. So, although we should think about the practicality of it, we need to look for a while here at the authenticity of this reality of Jesus' humanity. Because it's easy for us, even on the practical side, to say, well, it was easy for Jesus to humble himself. Right? It was easy for Jesus to be obedient to the point of death. We all think that. At some point in our Christian walk, Every single one of us, if we take the Bible seriously, at some point it enters our mind, even though we, you know, we've had enough Sunday school to say we shouldn't think that. Or we've heard enough sermons to think we should. We, we all do think, well it, well, it was easy for Jesus. Because he was God. I mean, he wasn't really man, was he? I mean, hasn't everybody here at least thought that for a moment? It's easy for, for, for the Scriptures to say, be like Christ, be, you know, follow His example, because He was obedient to the point of death. Looking back at your passage, it says that He was in the form of God, but He did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. So what does Paul mean when he says he was in the form of God? And he also says there he's in the form of of man. Uh, You know, this is one of those places where the English translations don't help us out too much because I think most of us, when we hear the form of something, we we do think at least of, of just the outward appearances. Right? He looked like he was a man. He was in the form of man, but he wasn't really man. And I think that's partly why Luke, you know, you know one of the later, probably the third gospel written, you know, put all these details that maybe Christians weren't understanding. The reality of his birth as a child, as a baby. Because it, it intensifies this reality that Jesus was a human person. He was in the form of God. And you have to know a little bit about, you know, ancient Greek and, and the Greek philosophers and the development of the Greek language to know that whenever the, the Greek term here is morphe or, you know, and so we get like morphosis and, and, and we understand this idea of, of something being in the form. But for them, it was the 
ultimate reality. When Paul says that Jesus was in the form of God, and he also says Jesus was in the form of man, it means that Jesus had all the essential properties. Whatever it means to be God, whatever it means to be God, and I don't have the time in this sermon here to explain everything that that might mean, but whatever it means to be God, Jesus was. Whatever essential properties it, it would be require for, for something, someone, some person to be God, Jesus was. And whatever the essential properties were for Jesus to be man, Jesus was. Now, if you have any confusion on how those two things can both be true, talk to Chris after the sermon. He's in charge of that. If, you know, when you're talking about how the, the Trinity or, or, or the, the way the natures relate, if you talk too much, you end up becoming a heretic. So it's best to be brief on some of these subjects. But it is a reality that Jesus actually was human. He came in the flesh. He was our brother. As Calvin said, he took on our flesh so that he would be our brother. And we don't think that Jesus is like us. But in every way, as we are tempted, he was tempted. He was born as a baby, and, and my wife has just been listening to these songs, and, and one of the songs is, is, it was not quiet. It was not a silent night in the town of David. Right? And, and it tries to give you the picture of what it would have been like for Mary and Joseph in a stable. Right? You, you would have heard, there would have been blood on the ground, there would have been animals making noise. It would have been dirty. It would have been cold. It would have been a, a harsh human reality. And that's the authentic life in the flesh that our Savior comes into. As Chris read in Luke, And the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord your God will give him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the, the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the whole Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and called the Son of God. When we look at that little manger scene, we see that little baby sitting in that scene. We, we need to see that it was an authentic life. It wasn't some just spiritual reality that doesn't exist. It was an authentic real human life with all the, the, the pain, the suffering, ultimately greater suffering than any of us will go through. Jesus experienced that in reality. And we need to see that even when we see him as a baby in the manger. Because he was a child born with a particular destiny to go through very difficult times. So not only was it an authentic life, but we need to know what, what, what is the significance of Jesus' humanity. What does Paul really mean here? Is he just referring to that whenever he says Jesus emptied himself? Right? When he did not account equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself? Is, is Paul having here only the idea that Jesus, although 
He was fully God in the form of God, speaking to, to the, all the essential properties that, that Godness would give him. Is he speaking that he just emptied himself of those things when he was born in the flesh? Or is it grander than that? Is it actually speaking more to the fact that Jesus, being found in the flesh, being found as a man, did not think that those types of things that you get when you're the King of kings and Lord of lords, that you got to have those things. He did not grasp on to the honor, the prestige, the privileges. He came as a beggar, and so he did not get to have the privileges as a king. He came as a servant, so he did not get those royal qualities, right? He did not get the banquet tables. He got the scraps. I think in many ways what we need to see when when Jesus does not grasp after, right, does not think, even though he's in the form, has the essential properties of deity, he did not grasp after those things. What should immediately come into mind is two passages of Scripture. Matthew 4 and Genesis 3. See, Jesus, even though he's being found in the form of God, deserving of all the privileges and rights that that rank of King of Kings and Lord of Lords deserves, did not think equality with God as something that he should grasp after. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. And think with you, Will, as you turn to Matthew 4, back in the garden. We have in the garden the first Adam, the first man in the flesh. And what does that first man do? What does Satan tempt Adam with? What does Satan tell Adam and Eve? Oh, God does not want you to eat from the tree that's in the center of the garden because he knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will be like God. So what does Adam do? Although he does not deserve, although he does not have that right and privilege because he is not God, Adam grasped after that which was not deserving of him in his station. He sought to be like God. Jesus, although he was fully God, having all those essential properties, we read this in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. It said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. I mean, Satan is tempting him with, if Jesus jumped off the the temple, then the angels would protect him, right? If he was really the Son of God, God would not allow His Son to die in such a way. And Jesus said to him, as it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him you shall serve. 
Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came concerning and were ministering to him. You see, in this passage, we, we, we have these, these contrasting realities that although Jesus was in the form of God in his life, he did not grasp after those privileges, right? Can Jesus turn stone to bread? We know he can, right? If he can take a few loaves and feed 5,000, we know that Jesus could have fed himself from those stones. Did he do it? No. Could Jesus jump off the cliff of the temple and be protected by angels? Sure. He could command a legion of angels to come down to protect him. Does he do it? No. Does he have the right to in, in, in whose form he is? Sure. He has those privileges. He has those rights as king of kings and lord of lords. Should all the nations bow down and worship him right then and there? As the word that was in the beginning, as the word that was with God, as the word that was, was God, the word that created the world? Sure. He is deserving of their worship whether he died on the cross or not. That is the honor he deserved. Did he accept that worship there? No. He did not grasp after those things. So, so it's not just him coming from heaven into the form of a baby, which it is partly there. But it is also throughout Jesus' life, he never sought to grasp on to those privileges and rights. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions of sons, because you are sons. God has sent his Spirit into the sons, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Galatians 4, uh, 4 through 7. If you also have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Speaking of this reality of why Jesus, what is the, the significance of Jesus in the flesh, not grasping on to the rights and privileges that are are deserving of him, but yet humbling himself, emptying himself of those privileges, not emptying himself of his divine glory, not emptying himself of his divinity in any way, but emptying himself from those rights and privileges for our behalf. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not, a, not, not for the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he is made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice for the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Christ truly came in the flesh as a baby, suffered for your behalf. And because you share in his flesh, because we are, he is made like us in every way as our brother, then we will also get the benefits of that. The sacrifice of that. And ultimately, the victory of that. 
we turn back to our passage in Philippians Therefore, God, because, you know, that why is the therefore, therefore, because Christ, although was fully in the form of God and fully was God, but because he was also fully man and came in the flesh and was obedient to death, even death on the cross for us, for our sins coming in our flesh so that we might be redeemed of our sins. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, both in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We, we see in this passage you know, the, the whole story of Jesus. He comes in the flesh. And the frailty, and it comes into a broken world to be obedient all the way to the point of death. And when Paul speaks of this exaltation, he speaks to what? But Jesus' resurrection. And we know from Scripture, if Jesus is exalted, what is true of those who are in Jesus? When we see that baby of the manger, we, we see meekness. But do we see the glory of the whole life that he led? The life that we have a share in. Because if we have our faith in Him, then we know that we will be exalted. Not because of anything that we have done, but what the last Adam has done. The first Adam thrust all of humanity into the plight of sin by seeking to be God. And we go through most of our life looking for those things that we deserve, grasping after what we think that we should have. But we can hold on to this reality that the one who deserved the greatest honor, who was spit at, who was whipped, who was beaten, who had a thorn of crown, a crown of thorns put a place upon his head, that because of his obedience, we get something that we don't deserve. The exalted last Adam, life does not end in his death, but in resurrection. But it is a real death, just as it was a real life. And although we, we, we think of the mystery of Christmas and, and we think of the warm hearts and the family times, let us not forget, even for a moment, of what this child has come to do. This child has come to rid the world of sin and death. And he does it by living this life of obedience, emptying himself of all those things that should be his. His resurrection is not just His own. His exaltation is not just for Jesus. It is at His name that every knee shall bow in worship. But it is because of His exaltation that we do have that hope. The reason Christmas should give us hope is not just the birth, but the resurrection. It is the new life that we will have in Jesus. For to us a child is born, a son is given. The government one day will stand upon His shoulders and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is true that, behold, a virgin conceived and bore a son, and his name is Manuel. God with us. God truly came in the flesh to be with us. And as Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why is Jesus in a manger? To live that life to be a ransom 
for all those who put their faith and trust in Him. Now, I can't really offer you that you're going to get everything you deserve this Christmas as the first week of Advent. Kids and the younger kids in the room, you might not get that Lego set you've been dreaming of. Even though I know you feel you deserved it. You felt like, you know, you've been pretty good this year. There's probably a lot of things that maybe you feel that this Christmas should be. Maybe you won't get the family time that you wanted. Maybe you won't get any of the things you want from family. Maybe you won't get that end of the year Christmas bonus at work. You know, I can't offer you that the, the, the financial things in your life will work out, the family situations in your life will work out, or any of those things. But I can tell you that that one thing that you don't deserve can be offered to you. I don't know that you will receive honor. Because we all want honor on some level. I don't know that any of you will be honored this Christmas season. Even though that maybe, even if you don't admit it, that's, you want to be honored in some way. I don't know if other people will see your efforts and praise you for it. But I do know this. That something is offered to you that you do not have the right to by birth or skills. Something is offered to you in that little manger scene, this, this reality of hope that that which you do not deserve is yours because of the one who did not grasp after Godhood, but was willing to come in the flesh to live a perfect life for you. Not only to take the, the power of sin away from you, but the guilt as well. And we have this in Jesus. And more and more, and especially this time, we need to focus on this, the reality of the humanity of our Savior. And what that means for you, that the God of heaven and earth and Lord of lords was willing to live the life he lived for you. And to be thankful and have the hope in that. And I don't know where everybody here is this morning. Maybe you'd think that church is really good about uh, a good place to bring your family. good place to, to have your kids, environment to raise your kids in. But the question that we have to come up with for ourselves is, do we really believe that this is an authentic reality? Do you believe that this truly was a significant event that happened in space and time? That the God who created the heavens really did come? Do you really believe that? And if you really do believe that, then you can know that you can have victory in Christ because God has highly exalted Him. And if you have faith in Him, then you know that you will have eternal life with your Father. In a moment, Chris is going to come up and offer you His body and blood, the the spiritual nourishment of Christ. And you might ask me, how do you know the Christmas story is true? How can you possibly know that Jesus did all these things? How do you know that he was highly exalted? How do you know that I can have freedom from my guilt and my sin? How can I grasp after that? Because I know I don't deserve it. If I can't grasp after and get those things that I think I deserve, how can I get something 
that I know in my inner being, in my inner heart, that I know I do not deserve. And I can only commend to you at this point, take and eat. Be nourished upon Christ, because that is why we look to the table. Because Christ is raised, and we come to this table until the day he returns again, as King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Gracious, gracious Father, we praise you this morning for the humanity of your Son. We put our faith and our trust in it that although we do not deserve to grasp after the ultimate realities of our salvation, we know that in Christ all those things are true for what he did on our behalf not with anything that we admit are able to do or could do in and of ourselves, but I do pray for every person in this room, Father, that as we enter into this Advent Christmas season, that, that our hope, that our joy, rest in a Savior who is fully God and yet fully man, who came in the flesh to be a ransom for many. Let us trust in that this morning. Let us trust in that for these weeks to come. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.